Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Arteta continues to show his managerial acumen with performance at Nottingham Forest that tells the Cronkies it's time to spend some money. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Uh, sigh. Heavy sigh. Lots of heavy sighs. Just sitting at a desk with a microphone. Not in some fancy multi-million dollar state-of-the-art facility. We'll never be the same. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's probably fine. But we did uh, a recording from the Vegas studio, and it was incredible. But um, I don't think that studio would have been an appropriate place to discuss the performance that was handed to us uh, in the FA Cup. And I think there's a lot to unpack here. The funny thing is, I kind of thought maybe we'll just do transfers, you know, this episode and like just gloss over the FA Cup routine victory at Nottingham Forest. But thanks to Arsenal, we actually have some stuff to discuss uh, for better and mostly for worse. So we are going to do that. Uh, Tim has returned from Brazil, so he will be back shortly. Uh, Travel-related stuff today prevents him, but we we welcome him back in the fold soon. And he gets to dodge this discussion, lucky man. But not dodging this discussion is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo! And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive BFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Uh, so, yeah, that happened. That was the thing that happened. Um, I want to go macro for a second, Clive. And the, the the hard part for me, as I found myself trying to engage in the online rage fest, was that I, cu- I couldn't connect with it. And I think everybody is going to have a slightly different reaction to this based on their opinion of what it means to crash out of the cup. I love the FA Cup. It is basically our cup, and I love that we always win it. I also feel that in some of the seasons where we've won it, as much joy as it brought us, it was a nice salve to cover the wounds of what was happening to us in the league. Um, And it really stopped being able to do that at some level. And where I'm going with this is essentially that, look, when you rotate, when you're a good team, You should still have enough in the tank as an Arsenal football club to go beat a Nottingham Forest. Uh, So I don't want to suggest that it is okay to lose to lower division opposition. It isn't. But I found myself struggling to connect to some of the frustration because for the first time, it feels like we can do something in the league that would be seismic, that would be really important. So just from a macro standpoint, how are you connecting to the disappointment because it is certainly a disappointment. But I, you know, I said in the instant reaction pod that I think the extent to which we are upset by this, frustrated by this, enraged by this is actually going to take some time to find out because I think it's also going to be based on like what happens in the Derby uh, next weekend and, and where we finish in the league and so on and so forth. Yeah, I think I've been uh, to be consistent where I've been for a while now. I think last year was about finding out who was on board the ship. And this year was about a bit of renewal and repositioning of the club. 
And I don't think you need multiple cup competitions to reposition the club. To reposition the club, I, I believe, I was thinking top six, um, hopeful for top four, hoping the schedule would would be easy if we were out of Europe. Again, I wanted us out of Europe because I wanted us to have a clean run at 2023 when Europe kicks in for some of our competitors. The fixtures kick in and we have a chance to do what Liverpool did years ago, what West Ham did last year, what Leicester have done, and really just ease the fixture schedule and then really focus on every league game being a cup final. I don't mind a cup run, but I don't need two cup runs, if you see what I mean. We've already got one cup run in the League Cup. I'm So I'm one of those people that's a little bit of a pragmatist. I'm not going to sit here and say to you, oh, I was absolutely devastated. I was devastated in how we play, and I didn't really want to have, you know, you want to sort of have a clean run at the top four, but you also don't want to lose, if that makes sense. <laughs> um, I don't like losing the way, the way we lost. But I'm not about to lose my stuff over losing this game as long as we recognise the issues that were there and learn from them. Uh, I do feel generally there is a a sometimes a soft underbelly to our to our team and maybe to how our shadow team is played and what we expect of them. And I'm sure we'll get into that during the podcast. But I'm okay. I'm pretty cool with it. But I do think there are some lessons to be learned that we need to learn. Yeah. Because we're not going to get anywhere with the first 13, if you see what I mean. And because those players are going to have issues. And what we do and how we keep the other players sharp and alive is a problem for us and how we react when we have major pillars out of our team. I think it's a problem. I think it's a problem last year. I think it cost us the Villarreal game. And how we react to that is something that I don't think we're getting right. And I'll talk about that a little bit later, hopefully. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and again, I, I don't want this to turn into, hey, I'm I'm more circumspect and level-headed because I'm not outraged about crashing out of the cup. Because first of all, imagine the day where I suggest I am more circumspect and level-headed than anybody. But like, I think this is a, a situation where your mileage may vary. I find myself so focused on the Derby and top four and the excitement of Champions League football possibly returning to Arsenal and what that would mean for, you know, business we need to do in the summer and the direction the club can go and and the next step up that we can take, that I found myself maybe overlooking this a little. And sometimes it's about where you are in life, right? I just had a trip that was special for me and and a life experience and I was flying back and I had just gotten back. And like, so all of these things sort of factor into how focused you are. If you're someone who traveled halfway around the world to go see an Arsenal game and you decided to go away to Forest in the FA Cup, be a weird choice, but you know, maybe, maybe that's a choice. Like, yeah, you're, you're going to connect with it very differently. But Paul, I, I think the other thing that I look at with this game is that when I looked at this team, I thought it was a fun and exciting team, stronger than I expected in some places, especially um, the fact that Saka started, Martinelli started, Odegaard started. But there's also a pretty glaring situation in midfield. Lakanga hadn't played, I don't think, since Newcastle or started since Newcastle, so very rusty. And Charlie Patino, whatever you think of him as a prospect, I don't think there is the suggestion that he is ready for first-team level right now. And I think that does require us to at least examine the Maitland-Niles move just a little bit. We talked about the idea that it's good for the club to do things for players, not just be a club that holds players to ransom or goes to war with their players, as we have certainly seen happen, and we will get on to a, another potential manager clash with a player uh, in a moment. 
But then there's the issue of when you're doing something that benefits the player to the uh, harm of the club. And so did this situation make you revisit the Maitland-Niles move at all and wonder if we could have delayed it, you know, fumbled with the paperwork, had him play in this game? Because I look at where we are in midfield right now, and with Party not around and Shaka having COVID, like th- this could be the midfield in the derby. And that, that of course, is not going to work. And I, to be fair, I don't think Arteta would pick it. But are you... Are you having any second thoughts about our decision to free Maitland-Niles from his his imprisoning at Arsenal Football Club? Um, so I assume they didn't know that, say, for example, Chaka was going to have COVID at this point um, when they made their plans for Maitland-Niles. And obviously that's been coming for a little while now. It may have been a, a move that was planned, mooted, you know, two weeks before three weeks before, four weeks before. And so we look on it as a decision that's, you know, they they finalized it in the last few days because that's what the reporting is. But like this may have just been absolutely the plan all along uh, for a few weeks now. And then we'd be saying, uh, actually, Maitland-Niles, get your head straight. You're not going. Unpack your suitcases um, to Roma, Sorry, you can't have him when we agreed you could have him. And it just may not be that easy. So it, it may have been something where in the last couple of days uh, they find out they don't have Chaka um, and they're not going to suddenly tell Maitland-Niles to get his head straight that he has to play. I mean, we're we're going to talk about Nuno. And when we get to that, we'll, we'll, my position on that is that was a guy who didn't have his head straight and... You know, Arteta is just not interested in people who don't have their head in the game. And so I'm not sure it was necessarily viable. At least that's my, based on my understanding of this, 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 I mean, this deal's getting done quickly in the window, relatively and smoothly, and everybody's on board and it's all aligned. And we saw Chaka to Roma not happen, but this one is happening. So like all parties are aligned on this and it's happening. I don't think you can just uh, th- throw in a wrench and say, okay, we're we're not sending them. Um, and there may also have been the thought that, well, we better find out what, what our midfield is because we can maybe keep Maitland-Niles for one game if, if we think that's a good idea, but can we keep him for two, for three? Probably not. I mean, now you're, now you're squirreling the deal after... You know, you held Maitland-Niles back in the summer when he wanted to do a loan that none of us were really up for, the Everton one. But you can't do it a second time and expect the performance you want on the pitch. You want people out there who want to be there. Uh, We went with Patino, who maybe was even rawer than they expected. Um, But it also might be the only midfield we've got for the next game, unless you're planning to not only tell Maitland-Niles he can't go with this game, the next game, and maybe the one after that. It might have been the time to find out what you got. What you found out is you don't have a lot of of what you need in midfield. Maybe they needed to find out. Maybe the FA Cup was the game to find out uh, what kind of trouble we're in so that we need to make other arrangements, even within our existing squad, you know. Pick your favorite scenario. You like Ben White as a as a DM. You like Callum Chambers as a DM. Who do you like? Because uh, you know, are we back to Odegaard as the 
the second pivot alongside Sambi, at least we know just how much trouble we're in, and it's a lot. I don't know. Like, if it were possible to keep Maitland-Niles and it not be a total screw-up, they should have kept him. But if it's really not possible, if he was really gone, he just, from our, like, our our understanding of reality and and what's really going on, we could be two weeks off where Maitland-Niles is at. Yeah, I people are going to read this as criticism of Arteta, and that's fine. You can read it however you want. It's not how it's intended. I think there are managers who could have managed the situation with Maitland-Niles such that we could have kept him to the end of the season and used him as needed and moved him on in the summer and made that work. I don't think that works under a Mikel Arteta environment where the the buy-in is such a strong requirement and this idea of culture and this idea of of togetherness it seems to be so paramount that if there's someone that's even suspected to have an eye in another direction or maybe not fully committed to the project that they are out they are just fully out and and again I am not saying that as a criticism of Arteta because you may say there are huge benefits we gain from creating that kind of culture of buy-in but the drawback you might get is that these players who are slightly more at the fringes go from being a very useful part of the squad you may need pragmatically to maybe not being usable. And that, that again, there's projection there, there's guessing there, I don't know. But but the point is, I sort of don't know that we could have kept Maitland-Niles under this manager. I do think that there is a scenario where we could have and should have kept him till the end of the season. Um, but that ship has sailed. So, Clive, I think, I think uh, we've yeah, kept him, yeah. just on that quickly, I do think um, we've kept him around for lots of times to make us feel good. He's backed up both fullbacks. He's been a wing-back. He's been left-sided wing-back. He's played in centre midfield. I think he's given a lot on the promise of not very little, shall we say. And yeah. there comes a point in time when you have to say, you know what, we've got to be fair to the player. He's been committed. He's done the right things. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he deserves a chance to go and play. And he did play versus Juventus on Sunday. He it's didn't. crazy, by the way. <laughs> and... And so you got to say, you know what? Uh, this is what Arsenal do. They're, they're like this. They they'd like to treat people properly in the main, right? So it didn't surprise it me. It's kind of a measure of how gone he was that he played on. So like he played for a different team on the same day. That's how gone. That's how planned. Yeah, that's deal, how settled exactly. the idea was. This deal was done, and I don't think we could. We knew we had a gap in in January. And that the mistake was, was not selling when there were bids, right? I mean, it, th- this ship sailed a while back, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, and they and they turned it around. So we're not aware of the discussions. There was a £10 million bound being. We're not sure of the numbers from, Ever- from Everton. And Everton wanted a two-year loan. Yeah, that was, didn't make sense. Yeah, so we're not always sure. But let's just look at what we do know. Arsenal had his player around since he was six years of age. We've used him a lot in various positions. And he's done all right for us. We're not he's not in anyone's first eleven. We have a gap at the moment. Our de facto skipper got COVID at just the wrong time when we need him to be available. And now we're looking around at other issues. And for me, it's just one of those things. Be fair to the player that's done right by you. And and, and I'm I'm all right with that, even though yeah. it was a the- bit of a suffering on Sunday. This is why I also think it's really hard when people say, Oh, we need to buy squad depth or you need to add depth because like Players don't want to be depth, not any good players. You know what I mean? Maitland Niles would be a fantastic player to keep forever because he he is a good quality player who can play a lot of positions at a, at a relatively high enough level to make you feel pretty confident. No one wants to be that. 
Cedric wants to be that. Do we like Cedric? I think it's fair to say we do not. So like it is depth is a very hard thing. You wind up with players like Rob Holding with all due respect, Cedric with all due respect, right? You wind up with players like that or kids, Patino, Tavares, Lakanga, guys that have growing to do. Now, Patino more of a kid than the other two, but you know, point taken. So uh, Clive, I think we need to get to the Tavares thing because it is one of the big talking points from the game. And maybe it is not a big talking point to be fair. We'll probably only know that in the coming days. The, there's a lot of questions about what happened here. I cannot believe, I do not believe, that Tavares was subbed off purely because he was playing poorly, because there were other players playing poorly, and I don't think he was playing any more poorly than anyone else. I mean, he had the one bad back pass, but that that can happen. You know, you kick the ball the wrong way, you know, no harm, no foul, fine. But, like, we've seen, I think it was against Manchester United, Martinelli come off early. Not in the first half, but maybe, was it at halftime? Because he just wasn't standing where yep. Arteta wanted him to stand. We've so he, he halftime, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, that proved to not be a problem long-term. I think it is very fair to say. Um, you know, I also think that it's possible that Arteta was frustrated with the performance. Things weren't going the way he wanted. It may be the case that he, he told Tierney to get ready. He was frustrated. The board goes up, and he's like, oh, God, I've just done this before halftime. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're in the moment. You may not realize that that's going to hurt the player, because I do think it was it like 35 minutes, make it to halftime. If you need to make the change, then it's less humiliating or you can have a, a word with him. So I, I don't know that I agree with the decision because it's a very public sort of humiliating thing for a young player um, who clearly responded in, in a way that suggests he was humiliated. But I'm curious if you have a different perspective. No, I think um, if you look at it in two different ways, right? So you look at it at the events. I call it event analysis, right? The event analysis, we can all remember the big Is that when you and, analyze an event? Yeah. That's just event I analysis, mean. right? Yeah, got it. Sometimes <laughs> you, get co- you get coaches who coach from events, the last thing they've seen, and they frustrate me. Look for the root cause. The root cause is, and Paul has, has already said it, right? He wasn't, he wasn't on the pitch. He wasn't mentally focused to play. The events were a byproduct of his general focus on the day. Right? So overhitting back passes, letting the ball run under your foot, not moving quickly enough, not moving the ball quickly enough. This is all down to a lack of focus and readiness to play, in my opinion. And the events, just that outcome. Right. So I think there's a bigger thing here. And if you don't mind me going on a little bit, Elliot. Yeah, I think when, when we have players that... We like, like like Nuno, you know, there were, we've had debates on this podcast if he should be dropped for Tierney. That wasn't long ago, right? So so we know he's played at the level and played in some of our best games. Villa, Villa at home, for example, he was unbelievable, right? So we have a player on our hands here. But when we have these what I call shadow squad players, the ones behind, we, we create these Polaroids in our minds. We have a picture, bang, there you are. I've seen you now. And the next time we see them, which may be six weeks' time, by the way, we expect exactly the same player. And it's very hard to recreate that level of performance based on inactivity. You know, Sergio doesn't play much, Holden doesn't play much, Nuno, Sambi hasn't played for a long time. But in our minds, we have this picture when they did play well, and we expect them to reach it. And so I have a, I have a theory about this. And I think rather than put them into the framework that works for the people who are sharp, put them into a framework that works for them and their primary skill set and things that they do naturally that they can always do on the first time they turn up on the pitch. For example, we'd all agree that Cedric is probably better in the opposition half that he is in our half defending. 
So I'm saying for Nuno, maybe. So maybe was this a day for a back three considering Forest play a back three? Do you see what I mean about allowing people to come back in who haven't played for a long time, there were nine players unavailable. Could we put a shape that allows them to settle down mm. on their primary skill sets? If you have a back three, you can then you can, maybe you can afford to do Sambi plus one, you know, an Odegaard next to him rather than play a kid, you know, that's not quite ready for this. Then you're saying to your superstar 20-year-olds up front, don't track fullbacks, just just concentrate on scoring in a you know in a front three. Stay close together and just go and get the goals we need. And you're creating a framework by which not only matches up your position, but gives the rusty people, like Holding, for example, time to not be exposed, to do what they'd like to do in an environment where numbers cosset them. And I felt this for a while. Our shadow squad is a back three team. Our first team, we can all name it, and it's absolutely fine as it is. When we start to see pillars, and the pillars of this team for me are Ramsdale, White, Gabriel, Party, Shaka, Lacazette. Of those pillars, I think only... Tommy Yasu? I've gone down the spine, Paul. But yeah, you could say Tommy Yasu as well. I've gone down the spine. So your spinal pillars, of, of those spinal pillars, only Ben White started. Right, so mm. so create something else for the backup team to allow them to flourish. We all know Nuno can go forward. Allow him to go forward. Don't kill him because he's not standing where he wants to be in a system that maybe he's not been used to because he hasn't played for two months. Does what I mean? I think this is the thing we. If you want to critique the manager, for me, this is how I see football. If you're playing a number of people that are not at the top of their game, give them the game that comes to them naturally first in a framework that works for them. I think we can learn lessons from this by doing this. And when we've got our top boys there, we can all name the team one, within one or two, and then we can do what we like. But when we haven't, I think we should think about it slightly differently. Mm. If you have a friend named Bill, and every time Bill taps you on the shoulder, he punches you in the face. First of all, he's not a great friend. Let's be honest. Um, when you feel a tap on your shoulder and you see Bill, you're probably going to expect that a punch in the face is coming. Let me explain what this means, because it doesn't make any sense. I think some of the analysis of the Tavares situation is born out of the fact that with Mikel Arteta, we have seen him have very strong opinions about certain players. And I don't want to use the phrase go to war with them, but get into situations with them where they very quickly become not a part of Arsenal Football Club. We saw it with Ganduzi, We saw it with Ozil. We've seen it with Aubameyang. You know, we've seen these situations develop. And I think because we've seen them, we sort of presume that they're always developing when maybe they aren't. This could literally be nothing. This could literally be he wasn't happy with the performance. He felt that that side of the pitch and something about how the structure was happening there wasn't what he needed, that he had to get Tierney in there to turn it around, and he made the sub and maybe didn't consider the timing of the sub being you know, as sort of embarrassing and unpleasant for the player as it was. He'll have a word in the player's ear, and they'll be fine. It could be the case that there's more to it. I mean, there were some rumors of Tavares being a bit of a problem player before he arrived. Um, you know, from a, a character and personality standpoint, I'd have to look back through some of the articles I read to find exactly what the details are. I don't have them in front of me right now. But I, I think that some of our presumption that there's something here is because we've seen there be something here with other players, and so we're projecting. And I, I just don't know, Paul, because it may... 
It may be a manager in the heat of the moment who wants to win all the time, every game, making a move that he felt was needed for the performance and, you know, sort of not thinking any more of that. And it's settled. And it may be that there is more of that. Now, on the Instant Reaction Pod, you had a fairly strong feeling in the moment that there's a lot more than that and that we are seeing, you know, they say with an iceberg, you know, you see the tip, but below the water, there's this huge mountain of ice that you don't see. I think you leaned more that direction. So are you still feeling that way in having had a day to think about it? Yeah, I'm I'm going to go with there's a lot here. You don't pull off a young player on Tierney started warming up around 27, 28 minutes. Arteta didn't walk him off the pitch, kind of the young player arm around his shoulder saying, hey, I needed to make a tactical change. They were nowhere near each other. Well, I'm sure the way Tavares came off the pitch didn't help that either, right? If there was nothing to it before he put his number up, by the time he was done taking off all of his headbands and gloves and things, there may have been something to it. Yeah, I can't imagine there wouldn't be something, you know, a yeah. kind of a an, a reach out, a word, a kind of a something, but there's nothing. Um, I think Arteta's fuming with him, and I think it has nothing to do... Uh, with the back pass in the sense that it wasn't because of the back pass. The back pass was, Arteta would see that as the symptom, not the disease, that this guy's head wasn't on the pitch. And he's, you know, the one, he's just had this great performance at City. Uh, it was only achieved not because we had talented players on the pitch, because their players are more talented than ours. It was... To be achieved. fair, Arteta wasn't there, so it wasn't his. I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that's, that's probably what went wrong here. Um, <laughs> it was achieved by having good players who were 110% committed to the plan, to the game, absolute focus, and that's the way. And nothing else will be accepted. And I think the iceberg part of it is, it's not even that the pass was the tip of the iceberg of the performance. The performance is the tip of the iceberg in terms of how he is at Arsenal. Um, like I've, This is a, 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 a weak opinion strongly held, right? I don't have a lot of evidence for this. I just, there's no way he, he gets a player off the pitch after 27, 28 minutes because he made a couple of mistakes uh, when he's playing Charlie Patino out there. Um, like this is a player who who uh, gave a back pass or a, a, an infield pass against Manchester United that uh, cost us a goal and a game and uh, started the next game. Yeah, um, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arteta is not in the business of killing players for mistakes, but he just would not brook on this pitch with those other players given the trouble given the challenges we clearly had on the day somebody who not because of a pass here or a pass there but just his whole demeanor was like not tuned in i mean like these guys can read it from a mile off right you, you don't have they work to work with a- them every day yeah i mean they, yeah. they know exactly when they're t- tuned in and not tuned in and by the way because the other thing is there were players having worse performances i mean if you just yeah. want to ask me was cedric worse than Tavares, my answer is yes <laughs> yeah uh, and I think he looked across at Nuno and he's talking to Nuno and he's telling him to do this, telling him to do that. And it's not how he did it. or wh- He's like, oh, fuck, it's that Nuno. The Nuno I've seen in practice, but I don't expect when I see him on the pitch. I, I was 
assuming, expecting he'd get he'd be one of those players who at least kicks in when he's on the pitch. But here it is again. I think he was beyond yeah. exasperated. He wasn't going to have it, and he wanted him off. And it was a message. It wasn't really a message, but he was okay with the fact that it was a message to the rest of the team too. But that's not why he did it. He did it because he wasn't going to have that. He's not going to coach a guy who's not mentally on the pitch. Given the importance of fullbacks, uh, given the fact yeah. that this was the fullback on his side, given all the problems on that side with Charlie Bettino and uh, Martin Helly having his hands full against Spence, uh, holdings on that side, uh, you know, just w- he saw a whole half of the pitch that was not that he just couldn't see working because Nuno was his head was at the races, the the horse races, and not at the game. Yeah, I, look. Some things you connect with with the managers, the way they talk or the way they coach or their type of football, and some things you connect with less. I have to admit, I connect with Arteta the disciplinarian less than other things. It doesn't mean they're wrong. Like just because you don't connect with it as much doesn't mean it's wrong, right? Like what when did I start becoming an Arsenal supporter? Like the late 90s, early 2000s, when it was Arsene Wenger and his style was, you know, less disciplinarian oriented. Now, to be fair, maybe he was more of that earlier in his time, but yeah. But I, I do think that there was an opportunity to get to halftime and then go with the hairdryer behind closed doors. And if you need to make the switch at halftime, you make the switch at halftime. This felt in this game against this opposition, who, by the way, we wound up losing to anyway, it, it felt a little too pointed and a little too public. But to your point, Paul, maybe that wasn't it. Clive, it sounds like you have a thought on that point. Well, I think I, I listened to James earlier and I thought this may be one of those you sort of need to sort of see it off the camera you see what i mean yeah but apparently he was chatting at Tavares pretty aggressively the whole, the whole yeah and time. and maybe he didn't react well to it you know sometimes when i stand on touchlines every week and trust me the fullback closest to us the coaching staff he gets it <laughs> he really gets it because normally my son so trust me i know the pain and uh, he gets it and um and when when he goes the other side he has a much <laughs> a much easier game for him sometimes the people closest to you feel your wrath the most if you don't react well then you're open you're open you're up for it i i don't look too deeply into it i am disappointed because he's one of the he's one of the crew He's one of the ones that we're betting our hopes on going forward. If Cedric has a bad game, I can live with it because we know what we're talking about here. You know, well, but, when when Cedric has a bad game, yeah, <laughs> you know, and we can we can debate Holding, we can debate Eddie, and with all these things because we know what's happening with their contractual situations and their overall commitment and then quality. And we've seen this for years, and we've seen the improvement, and we know where we are. But Nuno is one of the good guys, right? He's one of the ones we're betting our future on, and. So it is a little bit of a concern. Um, it's not a huge, massive investment. And there are people that have critiqued his intelligence and um, versus his athleticism. And on the day, he wasn't quite there. You know, he just wasn't there. I've seen him when he's there. You can't control him, mate. He's gone. He's everywhere. He's just amazing. You know, but he was at, he was at nowhere near that level of intensity and work rate and, and go forward and athleticism. And I think, I like to know what the reason is for that. was I thought he was a really good fit for what we needed in this game in terms of you know his kind of underlapping run into midfield because we couldn't you know we couldn't get centrally at them and he is a, a guy we've seen make that run into midfield and kind of uh, have them all their heads spin and wondering what's happening to them and where's this guy coming basically becoming a free man 
uh, streaking into midfield with the ball. I think if you look at Arsenal, right, and you want to get at Arsenal, you want to try to trap their widow when they come into the middle, and you really want to sneak behind their left back because their left back tends to go a little bit higher than the right back does. So when you transition, try to transition to left back area, whether it's Tierney or Tavares, it doesn't matter because we gamble more on that side. You know, Man City first goal penalty, where did it come from? Right, left hand corner. Where's our left back? Nowhere, right? So if you're looking at Arsenal for 30,000 feet, that's how you get at them. Right, so this is why we need to make a change at left centre mid, but let's not go there. Right, so that's how you get at them. Cause that's how we play. We're slightly asymmetrical. We love, we're slightly lopsided, even though we are less so than we have been historically. And so, and we just we struggle there. But you know what, lads, we talked about it, but none of us know what the coaching instructions were on the day. You know, we really don't. I think that's a that's that's the thing that's missing from this conversation. But I'm hoping it can sort this out because he's one of the future investments and we, we expect him to be here for two, three, four years. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing you don't want to do is, is lose these young guys. And 21 is very, very young emotionally, psychologically. Players mature at different ages. I, I do think that's an interesting point to, look, the last time Arsenal was on the pitch, it was against Manchester City. And they put put forth this incredible, professional, aggressive, committed performance. Not Not all these players, obviously. Now you're playing Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup. Obviously, a different situation. You know, you've got Liverpool at Anfield coming up, and then you've got a derby after that. And, you know, in American sports, there's this concept called a trap game. And a trap game is the game that sort of falls between big emotional moments or big, big stage moments. And I think playing Manchester City, then heavily rotating away in the FA Cup for lower division opposition, and then playing at Anfield and playing at Spurs. This had that trap game feeling. And sometimes what you need in a trap game is you need that big character, senior leadership, that experienced player who, who kind of galvanizes the performance. And if you look, and again, I, I think Bukayo Saka, consummate professional, Odegaard, Martinelli, consummate professional, but 20, 21, 21, 22, 21, 19, 21, you know, Lakanga, Patino, Martinelli, Odegaard, Saka, Enkedia, Tavares. I mean, this... Outside of the the defensive side of things, we have maybe just a little more seniority there. It it's a very young performance, and and you sort of wonder, did we miss that person? And maybe Tierney was as much an option for this as anything else. You say, you know, well, why didn't he take off Cedric? Well, who the hell is he going to put on? Maybe part of the Tierney thing was Tierney is a vocal leader, a, a more senior figure, a, a character guy who he felt would galvanize the performance and get people organized and structured the right way and rally them. Because there was a casualness, I thought, to the way we started the game. And to be fair, this isn't all just about soft factors. Forrest had a lot of pace and tenacity on the wings that hurt us, that pushed us back. They targeted weaknesses that we had on the flanks. You know, they were effective with that. And then we couldn't get control in the middle of the pitch because Enkedia can't drop in and do what Lacazette does. Patino and Lakanga couldn't do anything. And that's how you that you know that's the architecture of a loss away to Forest, and it, it's not that surprising in the cold light of day. I think it's surprising we didn't create more, and I think there's some performances that maybe we can highlight about that. I think Inkedia is someone we're going to have to talk about because the striker situation is one we're going to be talking about certainly for the balance of January and 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 the rest of the season. But you know there are going to be some people who listen to this and are like, "Gosh, the Tavares thing is nothing. It's nothing. It's just a substitute." He wasn't playing well, and he took him off for our first choice left back. No big deal. And I am sympathetic to that view, and it may wind up being nothing. Um, I think the timing of when it happened makes it feel like it is a bigger deal, but I do think that in general, this did have that feeling of a trap game and a feeling of a bit of a casual approach, and 
there wasn't that person out there that could kind of pull it together and, and give it the level of commitment it needed. I, I think the more worrying thing is that when some of those players started to come on the pitch, whether it was Tierney or you know ultimately Lacazette, um, Kolasinac was the big substitution. I'm surprised that didn't swing it late. I laugh, I joke. Um, you know, Paul is that we we didn't we still didn't really see the difference. And and sometimes yeah. I just think it's it's easy to forget that some of these backups, especially at their age, like if if you were to loan out Patino or maybe Tavares or Enkedia. Like, where would they go? They'd probably go to a club of forest stature. Like, you're not playing guys out there who are necessarily that superior to the opposition they're playing against. And if the attitude isn't right, away, this can happen. So do, do you think that yeah. maybe we what we really missed and maybe one of the reasons why Tierney was brought on and, and what was sort of lacking here was that th- this is what you see when you have such a young team is that you don't have that person, that key figure, middle of the park or, you know, up the pitch who who creates that, that focus and professionalism and commitment because they've been there before. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of yeah. been there before. There isn't. Um, and that was certainly an issue, especially when things weren't going our way. Um, I still think, though, the biggest issue was we couldn't get the, at them centrally. And this felt like a throwback game to when we weren't very good at, at football. We were kind of frustrating. There was a lot of noodling around the back. We had plenty of possession, noodling along the sides, but we couldn't get central against them. And the key elements of our game more recently, uh, like if you look at who we didn't have on the pitch, it was the guys at the ba- across the back, midfield and goalkeeper. <laughs> and when, when you say that, it's like, oh dear, right? <laughs> That's mm. like we build from the back. Um, and then even when we built from the back before, we had trouble because we couldn't get central. And how do we get central? With Lacazette in the middle, uh, banging up against players, connecting passes, dropping deep. You know, Eddie did a bit of that, but nowhere near to the same extent. So, and the third element element of it was in recent, recent times, much more energy and pressing up front. Well, we didn't press at all in this game. Eddie ran around across their back line, kind of harrying and, and chasing. So, if I were to say to you, let's go back to Arsenal when, without our ability and players to play out from the back, without Lacazette mixing things up in the middle and uh, and getting a central access, and without pressing, you'd be like, mm, we're, we're probably not going to be a very good team. Um, and then you got a bunch of young players against, like I listened to Adrian Clark talking about Nottingham Forest before this game. Um, and they've been very good since they got this Steve Cooper fella in. Uh, three at the back or four at the back, depending on the lineup. He predicted how this game would play out and that, not the result, but that this was going to be a dangerous encounter, that they'd hit us down the wings, um, that they're very solid, very organized, and we're going to have trouble through the center. So it kind of played out to that level. And until, without us being able to up our game with, with the players that were missing playing out from the back without Lacazette in the middle, which then leads you into the the uh, transfer talks because without Lacazette, you, you know, we've we've struggled any time Lacazette to play really good football. We've struggled for the best part of two years now uh, to find solutions with Aubameyang through the middle, with Martinelli, with 
uh, Eddie, you name it. Um, it seems we need a certain type of striker if we're going to have uh, any kind of purchase in midfield. And without that, uh, you know, we're too predictable down the wings. Mm. Uh, and I just think there's there were there are three or four things missing in this game, and it wasn't just about personnel. It was about the kinds of personnel that allow us to do things that these personnel don't. Yeah, I I think everybody could see from this game, from looking at our squad, from looking at who's available, that the depth situation is is a problem. We knew the African Cup of Nations was going to cause a problem for this squad, and we knew that a complication of this season was going to be COVID. And the two have conspired to really lay bare the most uh, already threadbare parts of the squad, namely uh, striker and central midfield. I mean, it, it is telling that we couldn't rest Saka in this game. And, you know, you look at it and say, we shouldn't have rested anybody because we didn't get through. But, like, surely because Saka can't start every single game for the rest of the season. I mean, maybe he can. Candidly, maybe he can. I mean, if we're only playing once a week, you know, we don't play just once a week this this week, but maybe he can. But I, I just, I think well, we have... All that kicking yeah. he's getting has really toughened up his legs. I don't think he feels it anymore. <laughs> it's like tree bark at this point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, well, I want to get to a couple of the individual performances that are of interest and then maybe ask about where we need to strengthen and whether we will strengthen those areas. Um, but if we're talking about strengthening, we're talking about bringing in talent, then you know we're talking about the best way to bring in talent. Because if you don't have players on the field with the right skills whether it's breakaway speed or elite playmaking ability, you're going to have a tough time winning. And the same goes for your business. Indeed is a fast, simple way to make sure you're hiring the best talent. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. So, like, imagine you signed Vlavich and he only gets you, like, eight goals. You don't pay the 65 million pounds. You just don't pay. Sorry. We'll give you, like, 10 million. Imagine what we could have given for Pepe. Just think about it. Should have used Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. Think of the savings on directors of football. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus... You only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. Indeed makes it easy to hire great talent. According to Comscore, it's the number one job site worldwide. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. But you may not need to hire. Maybe you just want really sexy privates. That's right. We roll on with Manscaped. This is a two-advertising day. That studio isn't going to pay for itself, folks. Go to manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision, for 20% off and free shipping. So, in the new year, it's time to bring sexy back. It says it right here. It says it right here. Bring sexy back. Time to ramp up your exercise and grooming routine. I'm just telling you some of the things that they're telling me we need to do. What else? What else do we need to do? Let's see. There's usually some really good copy in here. It's a new year, new you, and a new you means no pubes. Did I just say the word pubes on a podcast? My God. Probably shouldn't have read that. Well, it's out there now. Look, Lawnmower 4.0. Brought it with me on my trip to Vegas. Oh, boy. Probably shouldn't have put that on the pod. Now my wife's going to say, why'd you bring the lawnmower to Vegas? But you know what? 
It travels great, long battery life. You don't even have to bring the charger because the battery lasts so long. You can take it in the shower. It has advanced skin-safe technology, reduces cuts and nicks. It has um, ceramic blades, wet dries, so you can use it in the in the shower. I mean, this is the fact. All of us, almost everybody listening probably grooms your body at some level, and this is a product that's made to do it better than any, any other. Plus, you can get all these other amazing products with the Performance Package 4.0, okay? So you can get their tonics and deodorizers and and moisturizers and all that stuff. Do it. Go there. Get it. It's time. Manscaped.com, promo code Arsenal Vision. 20% off and free shipping. Clive, he says, exasperated. Is that enough of that? <laughs> yes, mate. Come on. I'm trying to stay focused on the football. Come on. Let's go. Well, I'm trying to stay focused on a ball of another kind. Um, so, good. Good. I'm glad we did that. Um, I, look, Clive, I guess the Eddie and Kedia thing is is one that I'm looking at because – this is a guy that I think we're sometimes we're like, we're sure he's not at the level. And then he'll play, he'll have a, a cameo where he looks pretty good. And we're like, you know, maybe he, maybe he could be at the level. And then we're not sure. Well, he starts this game. He's got Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli around him. I wouldn't say it was, he was set up for success, but he's set up to be able to show that he can help us through these kinds of games. And I thought this was one of his more disappointing performances. Um, he showed that he's not really able to play the role in the way Lacazette does. Fine, he's a different kind of player, but when the... Chances were there for him. I, you know, I don't think he was decisive enough with them. And just generally a game where he, he I think, struggled to find the the weaknesses in the forest defense. So that's that's an interesting problem now because if Aubameyang is <clears throat> totally done, and we don't know that he's totally done, but if he is, and Lacazette misses any time for anything, you know, a niggle, uh, you know, he's got to go out and, and rest up because he's just tired, you know, can happen. Um two yellow cards and again, whatever it is, then this looks like the guy who would be in line to, to be the next man up. And and I don't think he looks like he's able to do that. It puts rumors like Vlavic obviously in focus because it's the most important position on the pitch at some level. And it's one where we are not as strong as we'd like to be. So were you as sort of disappointed, I guess I'll use the word disappointed with the Enkedia performance. And does it further raise questions for you about our need to do something at striker, not necessarily this summer, but right now? Yeah, striker's the biggest issue for me. I, I don't like bigger than midfield. Do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Because what, what's going to change? We 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 talk about strikers like we're eating steak up front. We're not. We're not. Mm. Our forwards. Let's just let's not pretend we're eating steak. We're not. You know, we're we're the guys that they're score, kids who are growing. That's what we've got. Uh, other than the, the guys who are scoring are the are the youngsters, and the two. The three expensive players out of you know France, for example, are, are not doing it. They're not doing it for various reasons, right? And we've got Eddie in behind. So Eddie seduces you with his potential. He looks great, good attitude, and he does a lot of stuff, particularly at home against lower opposition that makes you think maybe he could do something. But when we go away from home and the moment comes, I'm afraid his ass drops out, mate. He can't handle the pressure. He can't deliver. His shot selection, pass selection, it's just not there. And I don't like bailing on, on players because I always think young men deserve a chance. They can, they can improve. But, oh, man, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not having it. I'm not having it. And because for one thing for me is if you're still developing as a player, then develop as a player humbly. Don't be flipping, calling people out every time you score a goal and giving it the big one like you've already made it. You've not made it. You couldn't handle Notch Forest. They bopped you around. You haven't made it yet. 
just get on, you know, there was an opportunity for you to go to Crystal Palace. You didn't go to Crystal Palace because of the wage demands. The fee was agreed. You stayed behind. It's obviously you want to maximise your financial potential. Fair play to you. That's what you want to do. Then good luck to you. But when it comes to it, you get an opportunity to play for Arsenal Football Club, focus, mate. Focus. You should have won the game for us at Everton, and you should have won the game for us here as well. Now we're near a level of focus. Now we're near a level of quality. He needs to be focused and have the right intention when it really, really counts. I'm afraid it's not there. I watch him. I watch his shooting technique. I watch how he how he kicks through the ball, where his standing foot is. He's not focused. It's not of any conviction. It's not scoring. When he's at home and he's 60,000 people in the Emirates and everyone's having fun, oh, I can turn up then. But when you want to play top-level football, you need to turn up in these sort of days. You know, and, I, and I'm so I'm I'm running out of patience. I'm I'm running out of patience, and I I overly critiqued him with the Everton game, and I looked at the performance after. I thought, you know what, maybe he got that wrong. But no, I didn't get it wrong really. To be honest, yeah, can win the moment, come to head it in. He, <laughs> That's he, a relief. He, he didn't. He didn't head it in. He didn't head it in. Right, he found a way to get his shoulders wrong and mess up. One yard out. Do the job. Then yeah. start phoning people on your celebration. Do the job when it counts. And I'm disappointed because you there's a role here for him, and he's umming and hawing like he's like he's something special, right? Not for me. Either either you get on board or you or you or you do or you get out, you know. And, and we need to clean out our forward area completely and regenerate this team because what we're doing is is not bad. But what's changed for us recently is the amount of goals we scored. But they've come from Martelli, they come from Smith Rowe, they come from Odegaard and Saka. Not coming from our centre forwards. If this team has a centre forward, the potential where it could go, and another and a wide sprinter, by the way, the potential where it could go could be could be something, right? So yeah. it's time to move on this and just let's not pretend we have these superstars out there because they're not doing it. They're not doing it. The ones that are, we know who they are, and it's not them. Yeah, and and I mean the funny thing is watching this. There's a part of me that thinks that if Lacazette's not available in a game. At least at this point right now, I would try something different at striker. You know, maybe, dare I invoke the Emil Smith-Rowe false nine thing again, but like, I think what Lacazette gives us dropping in to create that box in midfield is so important and more important than what he does, honestly, getting at the end of moves, which he doesn't do that much, that if you had to lose one of the two qualities Lacazette gives you, I, I, I think you're worse losing the linking than you are his actual end product. And, you know, and Keddy is not going to give that to you. So maybe it is a Smith Rowe who does, or maybe it's a Pepe who does, or, you know, whatever it is. I know, you know, we've sort of bandied about the idea of Pepe at, at striker before, and it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that Arteta has ever been slightly interested in. But with no Aubameyang, and if Lacazette wasn't available, I, I, I do think we're at the point now where we're going to have to try something different. And I know Arteta really likes Sinkedia and speaks very highly of him, but... You know, if we're going to talk about him taking off Tavares for not being able to do whatever he wanted him to do, like I don't think Enkedia is doing what he wants his striker to do right now, or at least he's not able to do it, even if he's trying. Um, Paul, the the issue in midfield, though, for me still feels potentially more urgent in the short term. I agree with Clive that striker is the bigger issue for the quote-unquote project at large. But this midfield that we started, I mean, I'm hoping that the Lakanga thing is just rust. He hadn't played... S- really played since Newcastle. And I think for a young player to not play that long and then go away in a cup tie where the other team's really up for it and your partner is, you know, a literal child out of the academy, 
<clears throat> that's really hard. That was asking a lot. I don't think Patino's ready, and I don't think it would be fair to expect him to be ready. You know, I, I don't even want to engage in the criticizing Patino discourse because, like, first of all, we have to remember, overwhelmingly academy kids don't make it. The Saka thing, the Smith-Rowe thing, it's a bit of a red herring. If you look back and say, who are the academy kids who made it? It's Jack Wilshire. It's Iwobi. It's Kieran Gibbs. That's it. Those are the kids since Ashley Cole. I mean, th- those are the ones that made it. They almost never make it. I mean, I guess you could say technically that like Nketiah has made it. I mean, it depends what your definition of make it is. But my point is that like Patino might or he might not. But the idea that he would even be close to ready now just is – is un- Clive, yeah? No, I, I'm sure you mentioned Jack Wilshire there, but I, I, I just didn't know. Yeah. yeah. I on, on Patino, I, if, I don't know if you've noticed, I've not said too much about him. Um, because I know people are going crazy, but I haven't said too much about him. I know exactly where he is and who he is. And he's a young player that's developing that was forced into a situation to play. And I'm glad that people haven't gone crazy about it. None that I've seen. He's just not ready. And I think in some ways, I think this might be beneficial for him because a lot of people have been, have been, uh, crowning him way, way, way ahead because of some under 23 YouTubes. We need to calm the hell down. The kid's barely got hairs on his legs, for God's sake. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Who were you when I needed you for the Manscaped promo? <laughs> he hasn't got his man muscles yet. The hormones haven't kicked in. It's so far for him to go physically and uh, emotionally. But talent-wise, he's top, but he's just yeah. not ready yet. There was one moment in yeah, this game ahead. where uh, he, he was going back the other ways. We were getting transitioned against, and uh, the winger, the fullback, went racing past him. And like it was like Patino was running uphill. I mean, he's just he's just a kid in a kid's body, and this man goes steaming past at about 120 miles an hour, and I'm like, oh dear. I'm probably yes. about eight or nine kg heavier with more muscles, well, and you can always tell with somebody like when the youngster's doing it because his first touch is nice and smooth, and his second touch is a slide tackle to keep the ball. You know what I mean? Because people, <laughs> you know, yeah. but, but that's but but what he's doing, and he kept the ball. But I, and I smiled to myself. I know exactly what that's like. You know, I, I've watched academy football. You can tell when people can explode off the mark and get to you and press you, and when somebody hasn't got that explosion yet, and it's just not ready yet. And I just, just, I, just watch the academy games. Like the, the the pace of it and the time that you have. If the ball gets away from you with your second touch a little bit, you just run and get it and keep going. Like you don't have that time at this level. But and I say this level, I realize, you know, Forest is not this level like the Premier League is. But but my. My thing with with Patino, Clyde and Paul, is that like, if you said to me we're going to have our f- entire first eleven, and Patino's going to come in and play the Shaka role with Party, that's one thing. But if you say he's going to play with Tavares to his left and Lakanga to his right and holding behind him, and you know, no Lacazette dropping in to help out and Kedia running away from him, it's like that's a much different thing. So you take a player who already is stepping up a level that maybe is just a little beyond where he's at. And now you're saying you got to solve all these problems because you don't have the usual cast of characters providing that that safety net for you. So it it's a very difficult position. But the problem, Paul, is that like I don't know if Shaka will be back from COVID and for for, for the Derby. We just don't know. Um, and we won't have Thomas Party, and we won't have Mohamed El Neni to the extent that we would want Mohamed El Neni right now. You might take him. Um, I do not think Patino can start a Derby. So can you talk me through? What on earth, and again, I mean, we covered the Maitland-Niles thing already, so we don't need to go back there, but what on earth would you do in the Derby in a scenario where Shaka is not back for it? I have no clue except 
uh, my best shot at it might be a three-man midfield, Sambi, Odegaard, Smith Rowe. And who knows what Smith Rowe's fitness is? What is it, a tight groin? Was tight it a groin, groin yeah. 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 No. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Because uh, at least those guys are all, at this stage, seasoned. It, it strikes me when we're talking about Nuno and the mentality and stuff, um, maybe the thing we haven't calibrated recently is how mature the young guys who've come through are and how serious they are. Smithrow, Saka, Odegaard, uh, you know, t- 22-year-olds, 21-year-olds, 20-year-olds, uh, you know, ex-19-year-olds, Super serious professional, uh, and this isn't a knock at Nuno, but you can see he doesn't have that same level of like you're never going to uh, pull Saka off the pitch, not in a million years, because mm. of focus mentality or whatever. You you might take him off the pitch because he was playing like Pooh um, or Smith Rowe, but but not for that. So like you, um, I've seen Smith Rowe play in midfield for Huddersfield quite a bit. Um, in a kind of a, a two-three-man kind of midfield, he and I've seen him at Arsenal. And what he what he does that's of use to us is he's pretty good at spotting and intercepting the pass from the other team when we're out of possession. But he's a bit light on everything else, so I don't see him as the other pivot um, in the future, maybe. But he's not there yet. I think Odegaard's are our closest possible fit to it. But but Arteta's comment on Odegaard, and I think that's right, <clears throat> is those weren't the players to face transitions. And if you're playing Liverpool um, or Spurs, you're going to see for ver- for uh, to two different extremes, transitions coming at you. And I think Sambi plus anybody else in this team is going to struggle massively. So... Jack had better be back, or it, um, I wouldn't say it really doesn't matter, but um, I can't think of a midfield, even with Chaka, but yeah. with Chaka, without Chaka <laughs> back, that isn't going to get reamed by Liverpool and Spurs. Well, there's a couple of things you have to do. First thing you have to do is just write this Lakanga performance off as he was next to Charlie Patino when he was rusty and hope that that's the case. I mean, he has the Ceballos disease of being really unlucky that when he gives the ball away, it almost always seems to lead to an opposition goal. Um, you, you know, I mean, it happened to him. What it was it Anfield um, United also, maybe am I think, I don't know. The point is he's just had bad luck with his, his giveaways really, really costing us, but you may be into the land now, Clive of like, I mean, take your pick. Like, Holding goes into midfield. You may be in the land of we just have to play a different formation. We have to go to a back three, you know, and and like do something until Shaka is back or until Party's even back because midfield is such a concern. I guess you could do the four three three, where it is a single pivot of Lakanga with Smith Rowe and Odegaard in front of him, and like <clears> that would be fun on FIFA. But I don't know if you can do that against Spurs away. So I, is that what you would do in, in the? Yeah, big, I would do. Based on experience, based on experience. Look, let's, let's, Spurs, let's just focus on Liverpool because Spurs. I think, I think Shaka will be back by then. I'm not. I don't think he's going to be off that long. But um, it just he may depends. Be back. I mean, he's going to he have to produce a, what a negative test. So it's yeah, uh, it's two negative yeah. tests. It depends. 
it depends, right? So you can test your way out. So you could even I, be let, back let me for, can, can can we use some of those faulty tests that Liverpool use that produce the wrong result? Because I mean, they seem <laughs> exactly. to have a real knack for that. One in a billion shot with three false positives. Yeah, example. funny that, isn't it? So you could be yeah, back for Thursday. So let's see what happens. I, I, but I will say, Liverpool, they they're going to play. I looked at some of their stuff early on today, and they they expect to have Fabinho, Henderson, and Curtis Jones as their midfield three. And have Jota, Firmino, and some guy called Gordon up front. So their back, their right back is not is is not there because uh, Trent is out. Um, but Timmy Sachs will play on the left back, so they're going to have a pretty strong team, but not their strongest team with Kelleher in goal. So there is opportunity. I would do a four three three thing and just play them, match them, and go that way. Or you do the double fullback thing. You know, with you know, I like to have my other option. You know, Liverpool is to have Nuno and. Tierney play and, and do it that way around and, and have double fullbacks on both sides. But without Trent there, I feel less of a an issue for that. So, hey, look, it, I'm, I'm not overly concerned. It is what it is. You can't change it. We can't buy anybody. Right? We don't seem to be playing Callum Chambers in there. He's the only other option I've seen. Um, I would just give our most experienced, better players that are good on the football, that want to get the football, get them on the pitch, and worry about that then and, and defend with your distances and defend with your with your group unity, shall we say, and make sure you have the ability to use the ball. Because if you don't threaten the other team, you're just sitting there watching the game go around you and you're, you're in your own half. So you must have a bridge in the football to transfer up the pitch. Paul said this earlier, I'll summarise it, you have five people behind the ball that prepare the attack, you have five people in the five channels ahead of the game. Our team was really suffered for the five people behind the ball, because that's where the most changes were. And our preparation of the attack was poor. So we had attackers on the pitch that were not bad, but our ability to get the ball to them as they wanted it was poor, very poor. And if I'm Forrest, I know exactly what I would do. I would test their metal. This is a trap game, as you said earlier, and I'll test their metal. Let's get after them. Let's give them a good kick in and see how much they really want this, because we know they've got Liverpool and Spurs coming up. And they test this out, and we didn't want it. That's just football. We got done well. And, and to your point, I, I think you <clears throat> you made the point that's backed up by data because I think Scott mentioned that just over fifty percent of our possessions against Forest led to a, a a final third entry. You know, and that's poor for us generally, but really poor against lower division opposition. There was no one to get it there. But Clive, I'll stay with you just for a second. Yeah. I look. Cedric was bad, but expecting to be bad. Tavares had happened to him what happened to him. Rob Holding's level is Rob Holding's level. I do think Ben White had a bit of an off game. And, you know, I I don't know, like the, the heart, so here's the thing, and I, I said this, I think, in the Discord. When you get these these signings that sometimes are polarized, right? Um, and I think Ben White was because it came with the Saliba debate and was he worth the money and is he truly a center back? Then what happens is people sort of get entrenched in holding a certain position. So if you're really supportive of the signing, he never had a bad game. And if you were against the signing, oh, this proves he wasn't worth it. And I hate that because that is not a productive discussion. I just want to analyze the performance on the day. On the day, without Tomiyasu and Gabriel there, and I think as a group, as a unit, they have formed a really good partnership trio together along with whoever's playing on the left. I don't think that worked for Ben White in this game. So I'm curious if you thought he was sort of a, a weak link there and especially in kind of helping with ball progression and then maybe you can even touch on th- their goal. Yeah, I think um I 
hey, look, all the other back five were not available, were not there, and he's yeah. the one guy that's there running around trying to adapt to these new people. Some running would say, around to, as the, the big star center back we brought in, that, that that's the guy you want in that position, though, right? Yeah, to stitch it together. You know, you know I feel it's about this star a lot. thing. We do this with party. We do this with Ben White. We do it with Pepe. We have we put. This is why I almost don't Willian. want a big. Yeah, I don't want a big. Tra- I don't big transfer fees. It, it really destroys how people enter the room, and then it destroys how we analyze them thereafter. It's just so frustrating. We would have dated Ramsdale as well if he wasn't so good, right? So, so off the back five, he is uh, the only one there. So let's talk. Let's, let's talk about him, shall we? Let's talk about Cedric, who's always on the edge of my TV screen, never running the right direction. <laughs> Right, so let's, let's just fucking talk about. Maybe him. his controller's broken. <laughs> right, let's just talk about him. I don't like. I don't swear very often in the podcast, but trust me, I've got a few <laughs> words for him. Right, he's never where I want him to be. He's never there. And if you're in that space on your own, then we know what happens to that centre back. He gets absolutely ruined. No stability. Tommy Asu, we know what he gives. Stability. He's always where you need him to be. Is his service is clean and consistent and predictable off both feet. He never gets run. He wins it in the air. He's always available. I mean, let's let's, let's just stop there, shall we? Gabriel, I know people are a bit disappointed in him because he got sent off, but you know what my feelings are with that. Doesn't lose races. Jumps out of his boots. Can progress the ball. By the way, this game was not the suspension. The suspension will be uh, Thursday. No, he, this game was a suspension. No, the FA. Uh, yep. FA Cup. I thought. I think it's League Cup. He's available. Counts. He's available Thursday. Really? Okay. Yeah, so Thursday. the thing I said, it's the opposite of that. That's what I meant. <laughs> I just said it backwards. That and and Nuno disappointed me because I think he can play, and something wasn't quite right there. So so Ben White's there. So for me, you know my feelings about. I would have, you know, I would have bought John Stones when he was out of favour at Man City because I I wanted that possession centre back. So for me. He's the he's the guy. He's the next guy, and we should be working with him. And because that's how football is, you progress the ball with people that can move it, keep it, clip it, travel with it. And he is our guy that intercepts and drives through, and very important to us. He's much better in the framework that which we have laid out for him. And when that framework's not there, then he becomes the one that we look at. So, and on the goal, um, I I looked at the goal today. I think I think Sammy tried a little chip pass. It wasn't clear to me. I don't know if you guys saw a different. I was in a bar watching this game, but I'm not sure if there's a handball there or not. But they then break down the right hand side again. They break. It was into definitely that. a handball, but it was very like the the arm was by his side and like was it? It was pretty close to the guy. What are you going to do, kind of thing? Yeah. So hand, yeah. yeah. So okay, unfortunate, but both hands. So, so Sambi then stops, puts his arm up, and and he stops just a pill for the handball. But I'm looking at the bottom of my TV screen, and I don't know why Cedric's got his arm up and then stops running and creeping forward when the guy's going to score the goal. He's behind him. What well, you got your arm up for? Do your job. Turn around, get on a defensive transition. So he then goes into a running race with Grabham and loses that race, obviously. Not only loses the race on distance, but he runs the wrong line. And and Ben White is looking for him. He's looking for him. He's looking for him. As he looks for him, then looks back at the ball. The ball's on its way. And they slide it in. Two versus one. That shouldn't really happen if I'm honest with you. Um, Arsenal get broken on the right-hand side. And then we don't box out the back post. These are problems that we've seen many, many times, right? So um, Mm. this is not new for us. The transformation of this team for me has been the back five. When that back five is not there, I feel we look very much like last year's pre-Christmas Arsenal. 
basically. Yeah. Yeah. I think Paul hit on it. <clears throat> and, and Paul, I'll sort of start to wrap up with you, you then. I mean, I look at this game and I see an arsenal that reminds me more of early fall arsenal. I don't mean like before the fall. I mean, autumn. Um, the fall of Arsenal, not that. that just the, the season. That's why fall. we call it autumn. I don't know yes. why you guys made it all very, very. Why? What? Like, I guess, I guess there's spring. That's 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 kind of confusing too. But well, the leaves fall off the trees. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the moral of the story is like there was an inability to control central spaces. When we built attacks, we built them purely from wide spaces, and then players were isolated. We didn't have that access to the top of the box to then play the ball out wide so that you could, you know, go in to go out and and create those cutbacks. Like, not much of that there. We created tiny little openings, not a hell of a lot, but it, it did look a lot like Arsenal from the early autumn. And and there were two things I thought missing. the The press that we had introduced and the centrality. I think Lacazette was a big part of that and the the very young and inexperienced midfield. And then maybe just a little bit of of looking past Forrest. And they they got their one moment and they converted it. I don't think they were very good, but I think that they did have some players that caused us problems, especially on the edges. Um, you know, they had they had pace out wide, which can always cause problems. So, you know, it was it was a it was a cup tie where we were a little flat with a little bit of inexperience and they were really up for it. And that's that's basically it. I mean, that's basically what happens, and that's what a trap game is, and that's what we got. We got trapped. But, you know, I, I I guess looking ahead, I do think that we're, we're in a weird situation where we could wind up losing again to Liverpool in midweek, and this could feel like a mini crisis. And you go and win the Derby, and nobody cares about either of these games then. Um, so it's a very strange way that the fixtures have laid out thanks to uh, Liverpool's really, really dodgy COVID testing laboratory. <clears throat> but so, Paul, I mean, just in terms of the the overall performance in the game from, from Forrest. And, you know, do, do you think that they were good opposition that played well? I mean, how much of this is us yeah. letting ourselves down or, the, you know, the opposition having something about them? Uh, it's both, but but uh, I know I often say this about our opposition, but these guys are good, right? They're not great. It's like walking down a swimming pool, you know, with a, a sloping floor and you got your nose above the water uh, you know, it's a foot above the water, six inches. You keep walking. Like, there's a point you reach where the water is above nose level. And, like, just a pace or two before that, your nose was above water level, right? You, if you're not at a certain level, if the other side is at a certain level, they're going to cause you problems, even though it doesn't seem like that that big a difference from where you were before or where they were before. Forest isn't just any championship team. They're on the way up. They're in ninth at the moment. They were in the relegation zone. They got Steve Cooper in. They have a way of playing. It's being very effective. They have that unity. They had three at the back. They clogged up the middle. They sat deep. They hit us with pace on the wings. Like, when we say they're not very good, I mean, what does that mean? Like, they were perfectly set up to give a team as lightweight as us, as unsure. Like, we had some good ball players in Patino and Sambi, but, like, when they're facing effectively 10 men behind the ball with the midfield clogged and no Lacazette, what are they going to do? Yeah. <laughs> right? They're going to pass it up the sides and back down again. And, like, we just didn't have a way to get centrally. Eddie toiled manfully, but it's not exactly his game. 
Um, you know, we brought Lacazette on towards the end. So I think people f- maybe felt, well, we had Lacazette and still didn't make any difference. I mean, I think it did actually help a bit. Um, but it's that combination of Lacazette in the middle or whoever that future striker may be needs to be able to do something pretty similar. Um, and our ability to pre- progress up tiki-taka style up the right, um, make those those connections and then attack with pace down the left. And when we miss one of those elements, that piece in the middle, we just look, you know, very, very tame. And yeah. I think we should accept that Forrest at home with 25,000 supporters, the place was rocking. They felt up for it. They're good. They may not be great, but like we have this spectrum where they're good or they're shit. Well, guess what? There's a whole world of clubs in the middle there, and these guys are good. They're just yeah. not great. It's it's like that opening day uh, game against Brentford where we had that really weird group of players available, yep. and they were up for it, and you know th- this can happen. Can I ask a weird question, Clive? And we'll end on this because uh, we've we've got a lot of stuff we're going to be doing this week. But this is going to sound crazy. Is Mikel Arteta not a great cup manager? So he won the FA Cup over Chelsea and Manchester City. Like, it, you know, in, in the semifinal and final. Like, that's incredible. But if you look at the balance of it, like Europa League, when he first arrived, he gets knocked out by Olympiacos at the first stage, which is obviously not good. Not been good in the domestic cups since. Like, really not good. Genuinely not good. Um, now we'll see the League Cup, to be fair. But um, And then the Europa League knockouts last season, not only did we really hate that exit and think that mistakes were made, but we sailed kind of close to the wind in the rounds before that. Um, I don't know. It's, just, it's, it's sort of a silly question, but it just got me kind of thinking. For a guy who won the FA Cup the first time he was here over two of the best teams in the world, let alone England, like... Cup football maybe like a challenge a challenge for him because otherwise it's been really poor. I mean, you take that out, and I realize take out an FA Cup, like most clubs don't win one in a decade, and we we win them all the time. But I'm just curious if you had any thoughts on that. Uh, it's, what, it's what I said earlier, really. I think we've, we've actually got quite a strong shadow team until now, <laughs> for example, yeah, with the African nations and COVID. And so we've actually done quite well in cups because I think we were able to put quite an experienced second team out. My issue, and this is my one issue with Arteta actually, and is I just feel just managing that second team could do it slightly differently. You know, if you're if you are approaching these other games, do you do it exactly the way you want to play and continue it? Some people could say, absolutely, Clive, we've got to establish that way of playing throughout the club, throughout all the players in the first team. Or do you look at it and say, this is a cup game, so one off, do I maximize the talent of this group for this game and my other principles of pattern of play I defer from one game till we get to Liverpool and that's that's just and that's a debate and some people say one way and some people say another way so my view is when we lose key pillars in the team how we react to that I think could improve and I felt that last year when Granite when we lost our left back pre-Villarreal I thought the decisions that we made were, were incorrect for too long and we didn't change it quickly enough I think we prioritised the wrong people in those days, but unless I'm, I'm over it now, <laughs> let's move on, move on. Um, but where we are right now, I thought there's another way to play this game. But I will say, I thought Forest deserved it. I don't see any issues there. They got a couple of new players in on loan. One of them's Keenan Davis, 
a player that lives was playing for a team literally the same level that I'm involved in. Only a couple of years ago, I ended up going to Villa and now gone there on loan and was a big, strong centre-forward and caused us problems. Pindar centre-backs caused us problems. And, um, so, yeah, they're, they're on the up. So it is what it is, right? You've got to take it on the chin sometimes and hopefully the next two games, or maybe three games in a row, don't make you do a crisis edition podcast edit. That's what I'm hopefully doing. Well, <clears throat> and that's, that's the thing, and this is why who would want to be a manager. Like, let's face it. There are people that are very, very upset about this cup exit. And I understand it. We're out of the FA Cup. That's heartbreaking to lower division opposition in a game where we played terribly. I think if you look at the players that were available and how we approached it and how it went, like I can, I can justify it. And the odds are we're probably going to lose to Liverpool at Anfield because of the very same situation. And people might then be really upset. And you might start to get some of the, the moaning and complaining about the manager. And then you could go to Spurs and rock up at their toilet bowl and flush them down it and, and win the Derby and be in pole position for top four. And none of this is going to matter. Or that could go poorly at a time when we're very, very paper thin due to COVID and, and the African Cup of Nations. And it could be a genuine crisis. And that's why <clears throat> you know football is so difficult because it is a razor's edge thing. This is a week that by mo- you know one week from today, by next Monday, we are either going to be feeling as good as we've felt in years about our prospects of getting back into the Champions League, about dominating our rivals, about finishing above them, about the football we're playing, or we can be in full-on crisis. So let's hope for the former. I certainly think that's possible. Um, you know, if we want to sign a striker and a midfielder between now and then, you know, preferably two of the best in the world, but, you know, whatever we can find down the back of the sofa, that'd be fine too. We'll see what happens. We're going to do a Vlavic scouting video for patrons tomorrow. So that is coming tomorrow. There will be uh, another regular pod scheduled this week as well, but it's going to have to get moved because of the Liverpool tie. So that'll probably be on Friday. There'll be an instant reaction on Thursday. And then, uh, yeah, just lots more stuff to do. So, you know, let's let's hang in there. Let's see how this week plays out. My feeling is I am going to save my freak out, my hysteria, uh, for if things don't go right Sunday. Because there's only so much of it to go around, right? We've got, we, in this hysteria economy, we all need to be a little bit more conscious of, of saving. And, and I'm saving up my hysteria for Sunday. So we'll see. Uh, pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. You saving your hysteria for Sunday as well? Yeah. Yeah, that, that feels about right. Um, Arteta has this thing where he has a crisis every December or arrives in a crisis. So that he's had three big ones now that he's survived. And then, kind of mid to end of January, we've a kind of renewed mini crisis and then we go on a bit of a run. So that sounds like the right timing for me. I'd be fine with the run starting Sunday. Uh, not to be confused with the runs, which That's I not how this works. No, yeah. Clive. Um, Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thank you. Thank you very much. You uh, saving the hysteria for Sunday? Um, yeah. I hey, Look, Carabao Cup, I didn't start the season thinking we got to win that. To get into Europa Conference, so I want—I don't want Liverpool to get a pass because I want them to get one. But I don't, you know, that's where I, that's where I stop with that one. But Spurs and Burnley, my eyes are focused on those two games because if we do well in those games, we look forward and we have sixteen more games thereafter to attack this league, and I think we're in a great place to do that. So that's, that's where my head is. There is definitely a world where Liverpool just blatantly lying and cheating and manipulating the COVID system and just faking positives because let's call it what it is. They faked them. They were not false positives. They were faked. They lied. That's what happened. There is a scenario where that had a 
pretty bad knock-on effect for our season potentially. Let's hope it doesn't go that direction. But like, it's just infuriating. It's freaking cheating liars. Anyway, uh, and and uh, I think we can fully finally leave it there. Uh, my name is Alex Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We will have uh, that scouting video for Blavich tomorrow, a podcast on Friday after Liverpool tie. We'll see what happens. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Liverpool nil. No.